Well, uh, we are um, now two weeks into our sixth graders joining us, so welcome in. We did wait to do this topic for you to be in here. It is, um, it's a preparatory message uh, for anybody, really, uh, in this day and age, not just for our sixth or eighth or ninth graders, but for all of us, whether we're in school or not. Um, I will tell you this, that Christ in controversy is fun for me, also a little scary, uh, I'm, if you don't know this about me, I kind of like uh, doing hard things, and so Christ and controversy is a hard thing to preach on. So we, we first preached on rest in a, in, a, in a day and age in a culture of achievement. Uh, I told you all, like, Sabbath is still a thing that we need to consider because Jesus, or, the, or God's word says we remember the Sabbath. So that was landmine number one, right? And I think we kind of got a lot around that, and then we, we tackled hell, and then I might have blown off a toe on hell, I don't know. And then we went to predestination, and that was probably my big toe that got blown off. Today, if we're not careful, in the minefield of the controversy with human sexuality and cancel culture, uh, I will make mistakes today. At, at the same time, I want you to hear um, that you uh, probably have a lens for this that isn't exactly guided by the scriptures. And so perhaps there's also mistakes on the listener's end as well. So I think we have to go into this a little bit humble to go, okay, this is a hot topic. And at the same time, it's a minefield that we're going to navigate. We're not going to stay away from it. We're going to navigate it. Okay. And so the scriptures are going to be our guide. The Holy Spirit will be our guide uh, to be bold and yet gentle in a very complicated issue. It is complicated, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I find myself a bit overwhelmed with, with the complicated nature of human sexuality these days. Just a few years back, it was very simple. You were either straight or you were gay. You were heterosexual or you were homosexual. But that is not the case anymore. We've got new categories with new understandings um, that, that really culture has, 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 has found and has discovered uh, but more than that, probably redefined. And so here are some of the things um, that we're hearing these days, right? Um, that we, it is a confusing time. We are homosexual. We are heterosexual. We are bisexual. We are pansexual. That was a new one for me in the last couple of weeks. I wasn't sure of what that one was. I'll tell you a little bit more about what pansexual is. Um, I'm not going to give you the definition of all these things, and I would caution you uh, against Googling it. But you can come up with uh, some pretty good ideas as to what this looks like, right? Uh, transsexual, queer, non-binary. That was also a new one in the last six months. Uh, non-binary are those that, that, that believe that sexuality is a social construct and therefore they will not uh, participate in that social construct and so they are non-binary. They do not believe in male or female. So they just kind of don't participate in the social construct of gender, Okay, so they're just out on the whole game. That's a non-binary. That's my best interpretation of a non-binary. Um, not only is there non-binary, but they're also, also preferred pronouns. Um, and so, like, it's just complicated. It's a complicated world. It's no, I'm confused. I can't imagine what my 11-year-old is thinking. When they go to middle school, my kids are public school uh, kids, and so if you homeschool, this may be a reason why you homeschool. I don't know, but if you're a private school, like this is a thing that you're going to have to deal with one way or the other. But I'll say this, like you can't just hide from this. Let's just say you private school, let's say you homeschool, and this isn't something that you want to talk about with your kids. Okay, watch a commercial. It's there. Watch Netflix. It's there. Watch Disney Plus. It's there. You cannot hide from this any longer, it is, going, it is part of 
the breath of our culture. So it's confusing. We are confronted with this. And yet somewhere in all this, um, it's become normal. It's become a rite of passage to question your, your, your makeup, your sexuality. It's a rite of passage, like once you hit puberty, this is a thing you have to do. But we don't do that with things like, like eye color. Like, I, I, like we don't get to the point where we identify as a, as a blue-eyed person. Um, but so there's, there's some things that we do this for, and there are other things that we don't, and it's really culturally uh, made up, right? Um, and so we have to kind of get to this point where, yes, it's normal. Yes, like once you hit puberty and adolescence, people are counting it as a rite of passage uh, to kind of figure out your sexuality. And we've, already, we've always been doing this. It's just really been simpler in the past of heterosexual discovery or truly homosexual discovery. That's always been a part of humanity since the fall. This isn't new. Um, in the old days, this was just a bit of, uh, of the culture in, in ancient Israel as it was in the Greco-Roman times as it is today, even more so in, in through some of that. So a lot of the things that people will say about the Bible during, the, during a conversation like this is, well, this is an outdated book. It needs to keep up with the times. This is nothing new. This is, our struggle with human sexuality is nothing new to humanity. It's been around since the beginning. And so as I ask questions like, what is the hot topic that you want more biblical guidance on? Hands down, this is the top of the list of human sexuality. Hands down, this is also where our trusted counselors in our church are saying, if you don't have this on your list, it needs to be because my office is flooded with adolescents struggling with how to deal with their, with their gender. Struggling with how to identify transgender, bisexual, homosexual, heterosexual. Adolescence is really where people are struggling more than anywhere. And you might think to yourself, well, why adolescence? I have a spiritual answer because the enemy likes to confuse things. And there's not a more confusing time than when you're an adolescent. But I also have a practical answer, and it's a theory, so don't, don't take this to the bank, but it's a theory. You remember middle school, don't you? Did you have a good, you have a good experience? Was it good for you? <laughs> I can't think of somebody in this place. It was probably rough for Jesus, too. Like, I don't know of a time when, like, it's, it's a worse experience for most people, and yet you don't have the mental and emotional capacity to deal with all the confusion, all the confusion. Add into that a question about human sexuality, and it's, gonna, it's a bomb that just went off. Add into that racial injustice. Add into that COVID. Add into that social media. Add into that a lack of hands-on parenting or whatever else. And all of a sudden, we've got a recipe for confusion, for condemnation. But this is my, this is my theory. Again, don't take this to the bank. But I do believe that this is a, such a confusing time that the enemy is pouncing on this time for our adolescents to where they get into a place where there's really not a lot of acceptance. I mean, if you're not the most popular or the most beautiful or the most talented in some sport or some skill or club, uh, it, is a, it is a prime situation to be rejected and bullied. But there's this community of LGBTQ plus people that they'll accept anybody. All I really have to do is say I'm curious or say I'm bisexual or, or don't really know. 
and they'll bring me in. But if I say I'm definitely heterosexual, then I'm still on the out. And now I still don't fit in with all these other places. I'm still kind of this isolated person out there that doesn't have the community or the safety that comes with community. It's just a theory. But just with my own eyes, as I'm looking and I'm kind of observing of what's going on, it's got to be playing a role. It may not be the entire thing, but it's got to be playing a role for our adolescent junior high, high schoolers. There's a community there that's safe. What if the church was the community that was safe? You see, that's why I want to talk about this from the stage, because I want to, I want to make sure that everybody knows God's not afraid of our hard questions. And if you're struggling with same-sex attraction, and I'll say struggling with SSA, same-sex attraction, this is a safe place to work through that. This church is a safe place to work through your questions, your, your, your curiosities, your temptations, your failures. Because we'll get to this in a minute. We've all failed. We all need the gospel. So where do we go and how do we distinguish all of this? You see this idea, these mantras that are popping up, um, truly are mantras. And if you've heard them, um, well, you, you'll recognize them, right? Love wins is one. Um, I got to be me. I got to live my truth. And I got to speak my truth. Another mantra of this is my identity. I am a woman. I am a man. I am transgender. I am. It is an identity statement. Okay, this is the core of what's going on in people. At least it feels that way. That's a, that's a cultural mantra uh, that, we need to be, uh, that we need to be aware of, and we'll talk about that one especially here in a minute. This is how God created me. It's another one. God created me this way. I'm just going to live the way that God created me. Um, I think that a lot of these mantras can be summed up. Someone came out as pansexual this week. Her name is Mae Whitman. She's a celebrity. She was on a, a sitcom a few years back. I think it was Parenthood, right? She's on another Netflix series that is celebrating, not Netflix, Disney Plus series that is celebrating um, LGBTQ um, inclusion. I think it's called The Owl House, um, which I looked up and I made sure that my kids were not going to watch it because that's where we stand as a family. Um, we, we do enough discovery. We do enough conversation. This isn't the first time my kids have talked about human sexuality. But this is what Mae Whitman said a few years back in an interview about her sexuality. She says, I like everyone. I see so much wonderful potential in everyone that I meet. And there's always something to learn from, she said. I think girls are attractive. I think boys are attractive. I think old people are attractive. I think young people are. I appreciate everything in everyone. I think that is the quintessential statement to the LGBTQ plus community and the cultural rise of where we're at right now is that if you don't just see potential and love everyone, then you must be a bigot. You must be a transphobe or a homophobe or perhaps just a different phobe. And we need to tackle that kind of language because we need to identify it as not true. I can disagree with you and not be a hater of you. As a matter of fact, I had a long conversation with someone who is a friend of mine that's homosexual. She's in a homosexual marriage. And I had a long conversation with her on Friday, and I was like, okay, I know you're going to be dialed in on Sunday, so what's up? Um, and also, um, like, we had this long conversation about what this looks like and how can I continue to help have this conversation with her without it being a, a hostile environment. She goes, but you're never hostile about this, and this shouldn't be a hostile thing. She goes, and this is from her, and I want you to hear this. She goes, what do people expect their pastor to be? 
someone to just not preach on personal issues? <laughs> of course they want that. It would be really boring. But of course people want that because then it doesn't get into our personal lives. But this is very personal. This is core to what many, of pe- many people think that we are. And so our, our, the problem is here, not only that this is confusing, not that we're just you know, inundated with all of this, but also the church has not handled this very well. So we just own the church's fault in all of this. Um, that number one, we've hid from it. We've just buried our head in the sand like, oh, I'm not going to deal with that. That'll just be somebody, somebody else deal with that. But the other thing we've done is that we've have not, if we've not hidden from it, uh, we've just shouted at people in the past. That may not be our most recent history, but that certainly was our, our past as this got off the ground, really. Um, so um, we need to own that as part of us. Like there might be a reason why the LGBTQ community doesn't want to listen to us. And we need to reform that. We need to repent of where we need to repent, and we reform that and engage and lean in with love. Lean in with the truth. Because I told this person yesterday, that I had a, or Friday, I had the conversation, I said, look, here's the deal. The Bible says this. I can't get away from this. I need you to know this is what I believe. I'll bet you, you believe something different. And they were like, actually, I don't. That's the crazy part, at least for this person. You see, what's been different in the last 10 or 15 years with the homosexual community, LGBT community, is that they're no longer shying away from this word. They're using this, and they're quoting this, and you better know it. And you better know their quotes, and you better know where they're going to go to, and you better know the context. So today, let's see if we can go there on some of the quotes. We can't hit all of them, but on some of them as we tackle this certainly controversial subject. All right, the first thing that we need to do is realize this. Our God is our creator. So he defines the terms. He defines the terms on what male is and what female is because he is our creator. If we deny God as our creator, um, then we're going to deny everything else. And that really is the, the, the crux of this, uh, of this struggle. Um, is that God is our creator. If we deny that, then everything else is, uh, is really up for grabs. So Jesus says this in Matthew 19, verse 4, when he's talking and addressing the, uh, the issues of divorce. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? I don't care how many genders Facebook puts before you to select, there's two. There's male and there's female. Y'all know that Facebook has like, at least I've heard, like 127 different genders to select from. Um, if you didn't know that, one more reason to not be on Facebook, but that's just my own personal vendetta. Male and female. Male and female. Jesus is referring to a question about divorce, but he starts with God's intended design for creation and procreation. He made male and he made female. He assigned genders and therefore he defines what we are and what genders are. So if you know someone who's struggling with transgenderism or perhaps you're in here and you are struggling with transgenderism, you just haven't really come out with that yet. I'm not naive to think that there's not some people in here struggling through this. Like I want you, I'll just plead with you as I pled with my, my sister the other day. Like I plead with you to come around the scriptures to understand that God is perfect, matchless in his wisdom, in how he created you. 
So if you're a biological female struggling with the thought that you might be a male, or your biological male struggling with the thought that you might be a female, struggle with that thought all you might, but put this into the things that you're struggling with, but God created me physically this way, and He didn't make a mistake. And though your soul and your body may not be completely integrated, you are not the first person to feel some sort of di- uh, like disunity between soul and body. Matter of fact, we all have dealt with that on some level or another. That there is this disconnect between soul and body. But at the same time, God is trying to integrate that under his authority as creator, truly, that if he made you a biological male, he didn't make a mistake. He didn't mix that up because he's perfect. He's matchless in his wisdom. And if he wanted it to be something different, he would have made it something different but he is matchless in his wisdom. That's the first thing, right? That God is our creator, so he defines terms of what gender truly is. The second thing is this. Sexuality, now friends, is a gospel issue. Let's go to the scriptures here in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. This is not just some... Um, like secondary or tertiary issue. This is a primary issue, a gospel issue. This is what 1 Corinthians 6, 9, uh, 6, 9 and 10 say, right? We read this, we'll read it again. Or do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the kingdom, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Pause. You think there's a reason why God says don't be deceived? Super easy to think you're right on who's in and who's out. On what God will forgive and what God stands true on that he's still holy. Super easy to deceive yourself. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is a gospel issue. Paul makes it very clear here that those who practice unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it's not just human sexuality, and it's not just the LGBTQ community. It's also adulterers. It's also swindlers, liars, people that are just trying to swindle you. It's also the greedy. Now we're all included, aren't we? And that'll be a point in just a moment. We can't just, as, as, as Christians, we can't just point out one thing and harp on it because it's not us. Because when he starts to lump in everybody, it is us. But the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, this is a bigger deal than we might think. And I would say this, just for clarity's sake, it says right here in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, men who practice homosexuality, it's actually not a great interpretation. If you look at, if you have an ESV and you have a footnote, the footnote will clearly explain what it says. Um, So if you have that, you should look that up. It's at the bottom of your page. If you don't have that, it's basically this. It's the passive and active participants in a homosexual relationship. Very clear, very graphic. No one can get around that. So you could get around, well, men who practice sexuality. Well, I'm a female, so I'm off the hook. That's not at all what it's actually saying. It's both partners in that kind of relationship that are included here in those that are outside the kingdom of God. So what is God communicating here? Well, in Greco-Roman culture, as long as you took care of your soul, what you did with your body really didn't matter. 
And so he's going to start including all these bodily sins um, that in Greco-Roman culture, they would have said, it's fine. Like, you don't have to worry about what your body does because your soul is really the only thing that matters. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Your body matters. It says your body is the temple of the Spirit at the end of this. Your body matters. Okay, so we're going to talk about it in just a minute. Like, verse 14, I'll just say it right now. Verse 14 says this. And God, well, 13 and 14, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. So Christians, how are we using our body for the Lord? And the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Why is that there? Because our bodies matter. They are eternal. They will one day be put into the ground unless the Lord comes first. But at some point, he's going to resurrect our body. And we're going to live in a glorified body. And our bodies matter for all of eternity. If they didn't matter, he'd just leave them in the ground. But they matter. This is an eternal issue now, what we do with our body. But it's not just homosexuality. It's not just dabbling in sin. No, it's practicing these things. He says, you can take as many sexual partners as you want. That's an adulterer. Go to the temple and worship by being with a prostitute. That would be idolatry. Do you see how all these are listed? Neither the sexual immoral nor the idolaters. Those that would go to a, a, a temple of another god and they would worship uh, by committing sex acts with a temple prostitute. That was worship back in the day. And you can guarantee that that religion was invented by a man. Females, the only thing that you get in that is not good. Terrible. This is the context in which the, like Jesus shows up and the Bible is written. So this is an antiquated document. It was worse in some ways then than it is now. The idolaters, the adulterers, those that would just continue to have as many sex partners as you want, even if you're married. See, you're in this too. Nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves. You ever stolen anything? You practice stealing? nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers. These are all things that we do with our body, with our tongue. We lie with our hands. We steal all things that we do with members of our body. So our body matters, but sexuality isn't the only thing um, that people misuse their bodies for. All sorts, again, of other issues and sins are committed by members of the body. We cannot then elevate homosexuality over and above other sins and how we deal with them. This isn't like the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin is not believing. So when you start breaking down what Jesus says is the unforgivable sin, when you start attributing the works of the Spirit to Satan, that's disbelief in God's power and presence. That's the unforgivable sin. Adultery isn't the unforgivable sin. If you are a victim of adultery or you've committed adultery, not the unforgivable sin. Divorce, also not unforgivable. Homosexuality, not unforgivable. But let us agree, it is sin. Let us agree on that. See, this is where the conversation I had with my friend the other day, when she was like, well, I mean, it also says drunkards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't go around, like, getting hammered. So let's not use the, the longer list of sins here that are included as then some sort of excuse to jump into the deep end of a pool of other sin. And so that's what I talked to her about. And she was like, yeah, that's, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. All right, well, let's keep talking. Because I don't know what to do with a lot of, of all this. It's very confusing. 
right? So Christian, right, we cannot dabble in sin while condemning sexual sin. And so this should create in us humility, repentance, compassion, right? But for those that are struggling with SSA, same-sex attraction, you cannot justify your sin because it's the same as others. Yes, all sins are the same in the eyes of God, but all are worthy of condemnation and therefore worthy uh, of God's judgment and wrath. So because sexuality is a gospel issue, it is a matter of in and out of the kingdom, we can neither bury our head as the church nor shout in condemnation as the church. Instead, again, we need to lean in with love. So if there's one thing that I would address, not just on the commentary of of God being our creator, not just as this being a, like a gospel issue. If there's one thing that I could put before you as something, as a tool to talk about it with your kids, to talk about it with your neighbor, or whatever it may be, it's your identity. You see, the culture around us is saying that I am these things. That this is my identity. So when you, when you come against me with a different perspective, you're disowning me, you're, you're afraid of me, you're a bigot towards me, and you must hate me. Friends, that is not true. This is not an identity issue, even though it feels like it. So this is a really easy topic to kind of talk about when you don't know someone who claims to have been born gay. But when you know someone or several people that claim that thing, that claim that perspective, this is the way God created me, this is my identity, it's, it's much more complex. So I just want you to hear this. Your sexuality is not your identity. You are far more than your sexuality. And if that's true, then what is sexuality? Well, the Bible certainly answers that. Let's read verse 11. No, I'm not going to go through every verse, okay, as we go through this today. But if you're thinking, we're going to be here forever. We're going to be here forever, but we're not going to do that. All right. Verse 11, verse A, or 11A. And uh, such were some of you. That's not where I wanted to be. Sorry, verse 12. My apologies. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Do you see the quotations there in verse 12? That's a Corinthian saying like, oh, well, all things are helpful for me. And so this is something that I'm just going to talk about. And this is kind of where I'm at. Like, you know, if I'm, I'm free to do whatever I want is this first one, right? And then Paul says, yeah, but not all things are helpful. It might be, it might be lawful. You might be able to do it, but should you? The next quotation, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. I could do all these things. Yeah, yeah, but you're getting enslaved by this. And Paul's saying to the Corinthians, I'm concerned about you. Verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. What are they saying? I want to do this just like I want to eat. So I just need to get the food. I want to participate in all kinds of these uh, sorts of unrighteous acts, sexual morality, lustful adultery, uh, even uh, homosexuality. I want to do these things, so I got to feed. I got to feed the monster because I want to do it. I have this natural desire in me. I might have been born this way, so I've got to feed the monster. I've got to feed the stomach. But Jesus, or Paul here, is very clear, right? Verse 11a says, you were unrighteous. You were unrighteous. 
But that's not who you are anymore. You were practicing homosexuality. You were practicing adultery, idolatry. That was your identity. But now, that's not your identity. Now you are to be known as righteous, as a Christian. You see, this is the heart of the question, right? That yes, the language today is I identify as this, but it is misguided. You see, identity feeds our behavior. Identity precedes behavior, and what you do comes out of who you are, or better yet, who you think you are. So again, who do you think you are? And so are you a homosexual first, who then struggles to live the Christian life, or are you a Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction? You see the difference? This is the core issue, I think, in this conversation is what is your identity? Are you a homosexual? Are you a transgender? Are you a pansexual who struggles with some of these things? Or are you someone who has identified by Christ and struggles with some sin? Because if you're someone who's identified in Christ who struggles with some sin, me too. Like I woke up in a funk this morning and I was talking to my wife about it and she's like, what's going on? You've kind of been in a funk for a few days. And I was like, man, I just had this episode with my oldest daughter a few, years, a few weeks, days ago that I'm just, it's just really not settling well with me. It's because of my own sin. Have you talked to her about it? Yeah, I cuddled in her bed the next day, told her I was sorry, but it's still just, I don't like it. What does my wife do? She reminds me of the gospel. Right? Because I'm a Christian who's struggling with sin. I'm not an angry person who's also trying to be a Christian. Our identity is what's at stake here. And if, your sexual is, if sexuality is not your identity, then what is it? It's an appetite. We just read that. That it's my body wants it, so I must want it too. And it must be okay. The, Corinthian, the Corinthians, again, their mindset was in these quotes. But what if your sexual appetite is not by God's design? What if it's a perversion of God's design? And you might think to yourself, well, what do you mean? Well, I'm going to read a long passage to you. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. If you um, have your Bible, it says, God's wrath on unrighteousness. This should be fun. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So, if you live in unrighteousness, you suppress the truth about God, about yourself, and about others. You know the truth, and now get the language. You know it, but you're pushing it down. Okay? For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. God's characteristics are clearly seen in creation. Ever since, okay, in all things that have been made. So they are without excuse. This is humanity. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. This is the wrath of God being put out on all humanity as a result of sin. 
Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is everyone. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now listen, y'all. This is where your appetite may not be from God. It might be that God is expressing his wrath on humanity and that's coming out in you through a sexual appetite that is not righteous. 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. You see what he does? See, at some point when we refuse to repent, he'll just give you what you want. And so some of us, we need to kind of have that as a category of judgment that we haven't heard God in a while, but we've gotten what we want in life. And so your reward is here. Your reward is now as a way of punishing you. It's all the candy that you eat and it rots out your teeth. That's what this is. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies. We just heard that bodies must be used to worship our king. Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves due penalty for their error. Now, I want you to hear this. This is a means of God's judgment on the earth. This is not something that we should lean into as Christians and celebrate as something that God created. This is God's way of saying, you want this, I'll give it to you. But it's not really my desire for you. It's as a means of punishment. So this should bother us deep at our core. For our friends, for our families, for our loved ones. Remember, there's deception here on right and wrong. But the Bible is clear, it's unnatural. Why is it unnatural? Because you can't procreate. You've got to find a different way to procreate. It's unnatural. It said heterosexual being natural, the way that God intended male and female for procreation, amongst other things. Verse 29, 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. Again, he's giving them up, giving them over to a debased mind, depraved mind, to do what ought not be done. So, adultery, idolatry, all the things that we could come up with. Matter of fact, he's going to start listing them. Let's see. They did things that ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil. Now, check this out. Just when you thought you were just going to only be content with focusing on someone who has a sexual desire than you, you just better be ready for what God's pouring out on us. Covetousness. Uh-oh. You ever watch HGTV? You in. Malice. You ever done anything malicious towards another customer service rep, let's say? <laughs> Full of envy. Oh, there's that coveting again. I would really rather. Murder. All right, well, I probably haven't murdered anyone, but Jesus says if I've been angry, then I've murdered. So I basically murdered my daughter this week. Cool. I'm in there too. Strife. You just like to fight. Dang it. 
Deceit. We all like deceit. Check your social media page. Maliciousness. Again? They're gossips. Ooh. Did you hear about them? Let's pray for them. We've got to pray for them. Slanderers. Mm, more things we can talk about when we're bored. Haters of God. Disobedient to parents. Holler! Sixth graders, you in the house? Disobedient to parents. My, my daughter's like, why are you calling me out? Disobedient to parents, that's why. Foolish. Have not got your mind around the truth? Faithless, struggling, or just not having any? Heartless, ruthless. Now, here you go. If you didn't find yourself in any of that, I know you found yourself in this one. Verse 32. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Have you approved any of these things? Oh, you're probably not that bad. We're all in this. This cannot be a thing that we, as the church, go, see there, the Bible says it, it's clear, I'm going to point my finger at you, and that'll be all that they see. No, instead, let us have compassion and humility, because this is the good news, y'all. This is where we'll end, and I know we're a little long, and that apparently does not bother me these days, coming off of sabbatical. It may bother you, I am unbothered by it. This is the good news. Our Father sent Jesus to cleanse us. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's not all grim and unrighteous. Such were some of you. That's good news, y'all. I know there's a Netflix uh, documentary called Pray Away that really hammers people. Uh, that probably have, I haven't seen it, but probably have a bad approach to, to Exodus-type ministries of getting people out of homosexual communities and into more uh, heterosexual communities. I, I get that there's some, some bad approaches to all of that. I haven't seen it. But it's, there's good news in the fact that God doesn't call us this still, that it's something that we once were. We were idolaters. We were uh, adulterers. We were homosexuals. We were gossips. We were people that were inventing forms of evil. We were God-haters. We were all these things. And here's how we were these things, and now we're something different. We are identity. We are something different. What are we now? Washed. That's cleansed. That's purified. Remember, God defines terms. That God's offer for a new start always stands. That's why he says you were these things, but now God has washed you. You were sanctified. You were brought in to the holy of holies. No longer are you rejected outside of a safe community. You have the safest community you've ever dreamed of when you become united with Christ because now God the Father accepts you through his washing of you. Praise be to God that that's the good news. You were washed. You were sanctified, right? You were justified in the name of Jesus. Now I, God looks at me justified, never sinned, completely cleansed and washed 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where will your name be? Where will your identity be? Will it be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Or will you be baptized in some other label that's way lesser than what God Creator wants for you? You were justified in that name, that identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me be known by nothing else besides Christian, Christ follower. Not just someone who affirms Him as a person or as a human or as a great teacher, but I follow Him. And when you follow Him, you say no to unrighteousness and yes to righteousness. That's what a follower does. When you start to apprentice under Jesus, you start to realize, man, I got some things about me that need to go. They don't follow on this path. Repentance and faith. See, I'm identified by that Lord, by that Jesus, by that Messiah, and by the Spirit of our God. Take note, y'all. This is communal. He's our God. So then we can't come to Him and go, but it's my truth. He's the truth. He's our God. It's communal. There's, an, there's a shared understanding here of faith and of belief, and yes, of still right and wrong. And that's unpopular. But heaven help us if we, if we lose the fight for righteousness, for holiness, for intimacy with God, which comes as He cleanses us. As He washes us. Yes, our God defines these terms. So here's what I would say, right? If you're struggling with same-sex attraction, sexuality, even heterosexual lust, let's just say that you're just addicted to pornography. and You're not committing any real sexual sin. Yes, you are. It's going to get thick now. Now it's no longer them, it's us. If you're struggling with these types of things, I want you to believe the truth about yourself. You don't always have to struggle with these things. That God truly holds out the invitation for cleansing, for justification, for sanctification. That there is a journey. It's a lifelong journey of being made righteous one degree of glory at a time. If that's you, your identity doesn't have to be struggler. Your identity doesn't have to be adulterer, pornographer, homosexual, transsexual. It doesn't have to be any of those things because God, in fact, doesn't want you to identify as any of those things. Alcoholic, addict. No, no, there's a new identity. It's follower of Jesus, and that may mean that I still struggle with some things. That may mean that I'm going to still sin in some areas, but I have my eyes set on Him. And I am forgiven. And I have been cleansed. And I have been washed clean. Praise be to God for that. It doesn't have to be what it's always been. But a new identity is out before you. And let's finish with what the Scriptures say in verse 18 through 20. What great news there is. Or do you not know, sorry, flee from sexual morality in verse 18. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. There's shame that's associated with this type of thing. But verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God 
with your body. Let's pray. Heaven, help us put these things into practice. Lord, beyond our salvation, the question really continues to be throughout this whole series is how much do we trust God? We trust Him for our salvation. Will we trust Him for our salvation in the everyday? Will we trust Him in our design for sexuality? Will we trust Him in what He says in the Scriptures that not every desire is God-given and that some of us are deceived around what's true? Lord, I pray that those that are struggling with same-sex attraction would see it as a struggle. This doesn't have to be normal. I pray that they would see options. I pray that they would see celibacy as an option. I pray that they would see singleness as an option. I pray that they would see even heterosexual marriage as an option. Will we trust you, O Lord, when things get crazy, difficult, confusing? Will we trust you? And so, Lord, help us trust you. We say this a lot, but I pray that we would mean it, Lord. Help us. We believe. Would you help us in our unbelief? As we walk out of here in a few moments, as we respond in worship, help us sing the things that we don't quite understand with deeper belief than we had even just five minutes ago. We love you, and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.